he had surgery, which was, I think, nine hours long. Um, they, well, let me show you. Uh, this was Gary's foot uh, before. little safety tip here for all of you. If you're a logger in your 20s and a truck rolls over your foot and crushes it, go to the doctor. Have somebody look at that because if you don't, uh, 40 years later, you have to have this done which is basically Gary has a bionic foot at this point. Every bone was taken apart and put back together, which is kind of amazing they can do that at all, much less in just nine hours. But he's uh, got to keep his foot completely elevated for a number of weeks. Uh, he's in good spirits. He feels good. Um, he alleged that he wasn't taking a lot of pain medications, uh, but that they, they do things to it that doesn't hurt that much, apparently. We'll see how that goes as time goes by. But uh, Gary's going to be out of commission for a while. So uh, I will be filling in for pretty much the rest of the year. And before you bolt for the door, uh, Gary's working very closely with me on this, and we'll be uh, kind of partnering a little bit. And I would say that uh, uh, not only Gary, but I'm very thankful and very aware of many of you in this church have poured your lives into me and what the Holy Spirit has done. I think all of us can testify that we're a little different, uh, not just before we were saved, but even as the Holy Spirit continues to conform us, we can be very different people, even as believers. And I'm very grateful to Gary for putting Kim into me and some other men in this church that take time uh, that you get to hopefully be the recipient of, that um, we can take a look at God's Word and continue through that. We're going to continue studying with Galatians. Um, as one of the things I want to do to honor Gary is not to just uh, go off and do our own series, but Gary started us on Galatians. It's an amazing book. I want to continue that, and so we'll be continuing to study Galatians as we uh, go through the rest of the year, and Gary will pick up hopefully where I drop off, and uh, we'll all be the word wiser for it, hopefully, at the end of this. My family, um, I'm an only child, and my, my father uh, actually grew up in high school in Moses Lake, and he was a boxer. That was his favorite sport, and he was a Golden Gloves champion, and if you're of a certain age, he might have come over to Ephrata to pick fights on Friday nights because that's what young men did in the 50s for fun. Um, we don't allow that anymore, strangely. But my grandfather was also Golden Gloves champ, was also an amazing boxer. So boxing was a big part of kind of our, our culture of our family, if you will. And boxing's interesting. Uh, they don't really have that around in the schools anymore uh, for kids to get a part of. I can tell you some funny stories about trying going to a smoker in Seattle, and um, you know that doesn't look that hard, really. Boxing's very hard. I can tell you boxing is very, very hard. Um, the greatest boxer of all time, according to my grandfather, was this man, Muhammad Ali. Um, Cassius Clay was his, his given name, uh, but he was phenomenal. And he's maybe famous, famous now for his mouth, uh, which is unfortunate because he was an amazing boxer. And what was amazing about Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, was his fundamentals. He had two things going for him. He had an amazing combination, which is in boxing, you, you do something to set up another thing. So he might jab high and then come low. And they call that a one-two punch. He also had amazing footwork, and he gained these skills through probably being the hardest practicing boxer of all time. He practiced constantly the fundamentals of boxing, which is footwork, bag work, the punching, the combinations. Um, he was amazing, and he was amazingly successful. He usually hits people's top athlete of the 20th century lists, um, phenomenal boxer, phenomenal one-two punch, and phenomenal fundamentals. 
Sports and boxing are good intros for Galatians. The Apostle Paul is our author, and the Apostle Paul seems like he was kind of a sports fan, or he at least knew that many of the people listening to him were sports fans. So sports gets used as an analogy a lot, boxing in particular. Um, Boxing's not like a lot of other sports. They call it the sweet science, which I think is just irony. But you're by yourself boxing. There's no team with you. There's no clock you can run out exactly. You're stuck in the ring. You can't take a knee. You can't run the ball into the line of scrimmage. You can't try to bunt your guy around. You're by yourself in the most brutal sport ever. And sometimes the Christian life can feel like that, that you're getting hammered or you're just there. And Paul refers to that a lot. And Paul, as an author, is kind of the, this is a bad segue, but he's the Muhammad Ali of writers. He's an a very sports-oriented, very focused on fundamentals, and he has a devastating one-two punch as well, which we'll take a look at today, which is chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And this book is a great book, and starting off chapter 3, I think it has a lot of relevance for us. So if you've got your Bible with you, why don't you flip it open to chapter 3 of the book of Galatians, and we'll start with kind of what we'll call the central question. Okay, there's a, there's a point to all this. And the central question is the question we want to answer that sums up what we're looking at here. And the question today is, do we receive the Holy Spirit by works or by faith? Works or faith? That'll be a theme that you'll hear a lot this winter with Galatians. Works or faith? little background, little context, because context is important. This book was written in A.D. 48, 49, maybe a little bit later by a couple of years, depending on how you view where the book was being delivered. Um, maybe that's not super important, but what you need to know is the book was written to Christians. The church in Galatia was a Christian church. We're, this is written to people a lot like you and I. Um, Galatia in particular was made up of a lot of people who were Jewish that converted. And Paul was Jewish and converted. So there's a closeness with the church and Paul that will be evident as we kind of go through this a little bit. So you need to know this is a very personal letter from Paul to the Galatian church. And there's a little bit of pain, a little bit of frustration even that you'll, you'll see come out. There was a problem in Galatia. And the Jewish religion is based very much on law. The Mosaic law, the Hebrew law, behavioral laws, dietary laws, very much uh, very legalistic. And kind of like a drug addict that can't quit, the converted Jews kept running back to the law. And even though they were Christians, fully saved, they were adding in works to how you get saved and working in law into how you're sanctified. And this is very serious. Uh, It's extraordinarily serious. In fact, when we talk in churches sometimes about, well, should men wear ties and should women wear hats and should we do this, that, or the other thing. Sometimes you hear the phrase, is that a hill you want to die upon? Like, I think men should take their hats off when they come inside and they shouldn't eat with a hat on. That's just how I was raised. That's not a hill I'm willing to die on. Not that big a deal. How you're saved, how we are sanctified, how the Holy Spirit works in us is a hill that I am willing to die on. It was a hill that Paul is willing to die on because it's the most fundamental part of our faith. How do you become a Christian? And the 
they call them Judaizers, Christians that are ex-Jews or bringing in this, this Jewish law into the faith, uh, were messing with the most important part of uh, our relationship to God. And Paul is extremely concerned about this. And Paul has authority to speak to this. He's not just a random guy. Paul was the best Jew. He was the most Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a teacher of the law without peer. He was, in the Hebrew world, Paul was a well, Saul at that time, but he was huge. And so Paul has authority to speak. Paul taught the Galatian church. Paul has a connection with the Galatian church. They have a similar background. Again, very personal. And so as you're reading this, it's, uh, you need to keep that in mind. The book itself of Galatians has had great influence all across uh, human history. This is the book that is credited with kickstarting the Protestant Reformation, which we are still in the middle of, 500 years and counting. We're still reforming and, uh, the churches as we go. We kind of do it a lot more independently than we used to. Uh, Martin Luther, the leader, if you will, of the Protestant Reformation, said he wanted to marry the book of Galatians. It was so important to him. His wife, Catherine, was not available for comment. Um, the key verse of all of the book of Galatians is found in chapter 2, which Gary covered last week. Man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. And if you get that, that's more important than anything else we're going to talk about today. In fact, that's all we're going to talk about today is that very verse, just in different places. It's a corrective argument, this book. He's trying to correct the behavior of a church and remind them about some fundamentals. He's concerned... It's uh, very condensed, the book. Uh, in fact, you could take a couple of verses today or like the entire book of Romans plopped into one or two verses, which makes it really challenging as a person teaching because you don't know where to stop. It kind of branches off. So we'll try to keep this moving pretty quickly for you. Why is this important for you to listen to, the context? Well, here's one. We're a church made up of people. We will have problems eventually because... We are people. People have problems. Churches have problems. Churches have problems for, I think, in my limited experience, but I think I'm old enough now I can make this sound decent. In my experience, one of two reasons. Either the church has a poor biblical understanding of the purpose of the church. What do we do here? Or, and this is the more common one, the individual has a poor understanding of their salvation. Galatians, the book of is all about your salvation. This is a way we understand this. We have a much deeper understanding of how secure we are in Jesus Christ, and we allow, we can share that much more able the more we understand this book of Galatians. So this is important, I think, not just for, in general, to be more like Jesus, but to be able to share with other people what it means to be saved and what the differences are maybe between our faith and another religion. Our text for today is chapter 3, the first five verses. Let me read this as you would read with me. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was vain? So then, 
Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Holy Father, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that uh, the people that have poured into my life, Father, I'd be able to access their lessons and that, Father, your Holy Spirit within me as it illuminated your text to me would come out clearly and without any deficiencies due to my own study. Father, we pray by your spirit that all of us would come closer to you through this encounter with your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first thing we always want to look at is what do we see here? Well, this is interesting. We're looking at five verses, and in just five verses, that doesn't show up. Okay. Six questions in five verses. That's kind of interesting. That's unusual. One might say that Paul is wondering with the Galatian people and leading them to somewhere by asking a couple questions. That's pretty good. Now, unlike God's space, where we want to be very gentle and very whimsical with our questions, Paul is anything but. Paul is using two-by-fours across people's eyes with his questions. These are pointed, sharp, um, humorous, I would say. At least I laugh when I read it. But uh, these are not cruel, but they are shocking. It's a one-two punch. This is the first punch of the questions in calling people foolish. That's the uppercut jab coming in high. Second thing we notice, if you take a look at this, that there's these kind of repeated terms. Okay, foolish and bewitched, we can kind of put that into one category of he's, again, that's the, the jab, if you will. And then there's the uppercut, which is about works of the law or the flesh, sometimes it's referred to, and this idea of hearing by faith and the spirit, and that we're setting up this contrast between law, spirit. What's, what's that right hand? Spirit's more important. Okay, so there we have it. This is important that we get that, the contrast. Spirit is going to be what we want to focus on as we go through this. So, first off, let's take a look at a couple terms here. And I want to do a little bit of, not quite vocabulary, but just make sure we're clear on this kind of law and what we're kind of taking a look at here. Law and spirit. And what Paul is doing is making this argument, and he's setting up the contrast, and then he's going to kind of explain himself and use facts and evidence and other uh, references to the Bible to build out and explain his argument in a way that's very clear, very concise, very logical, um, even a little bit deep. So I want to take a look at faith, and I want to take a look at law. And faith and spirit are kind of being on one side, and law and the flesh are going to kind of be on the other as we go through this. And let's start with faith and kind of define faith. And if you define faith, and this was interesting, Sometimes we think of it as just kind of trust. Biblically, people would say it's conviction of the truth or being fully persuaded. In context, it's about in Christ. It's about putting not just trust and being fully convinced or persuaded in Christ. It's a divine sort of persuasion. This is something that I guess surprised me as I dug into this a little bit. It's not the same as having great confidence that's a man thing, and that's what you'll see this all over the place is faith is going to relate back to God, whereas laws and behaviors is going to relate to me. But I have confidence when I get on an airplane. I have confidence that the engineers at Boeing knew what they were doing, that the flight crew's been well-trained, that, you know, blah, 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 the maintenance right down to, I suppose, I have confidence in the physics of it all. That's not the same as faith. It's a manly sort of faith. Faith, or the faith, as it's used here in this context, and in this, the word specifically, is a heavenly thing. 
when we believe, we are given the faith. It's a, a God-delivered faith or a God-given faith that is put into us, and it's a spiritual thing. It's by the Holy Spirit, and it's not the same as human confidence. William Tyndale goes back many, many generations. Right faith is a thing wrought in us by the Holy Spirit. The faith is something that we receive from God. It's, it's beyond confidence. It's knowledge. It's, it's heartfelt. It's fully committed. It's fully at our very being who we are as the faith. You might think of it this way. Demons believe in God. They recognize God, but they don't have the faith. So the faith is a, is a little bit more than just, yeah, I've chosen to believe in Jesus. It, we do that, and then it, the Spirit enters us, and we have the faith. That's all about God, and that will always stay on that side of that kind of equation we have here. And the opposite of that is law. You know, law is refers to the way we would understand law, absolutely. Um, rules, legal strictures. In context, it goes all the way back to Moses and the Hebrew law. This is a, in reference to that, when he, Paul would say the law, everybody there listening to this knew exactly what he was talking about. And it's everything from your, your dietary restrictions that you see in the Old Testament and all the behaviors you do. And all those behaviors are all about things that we do as humans that were necessary. Um, and it's part of how the, your salvation was assured, was by behaving a certain way. And the interesting thing about the law is it's always about what you do. And you have to do it perfectly. There's, n- there's not an option for being pretty good as far as being holy when it comes to the law. You have to observe it perfectly. And in all of human history, only one man ever observed it perfectly. Jesus Christ. Everyone else was flawed when it came to that. But the law doesn't sound good to us. And yet, our flesh loves the law. We love rules. As humans, our sin nature desires it. And you're probably thinking, what are you talking about? No, we love to separate ourselves from one another. We love to feel better about who we are based on something we do. We love to gossip about stuff. Social media is a a tool for that. We love to sit around in churches sometimes and, and talk about how our church doesn't do that and that other church does that thing. It's the same motive. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to know, are we doing the right thing? And if somebody presents us with a set of rules that says, you are holy if you do these things, we gravitate to that. And it doesn't matter how ridiculous it is. And sometimes we can all be pretty ridiculous. But it's also, it becomes, it, it's just, it twists us a little bit. It, it's not good, but our human nature wants that. It's comforting to know that it's about me. I'm in charge of my destiny. And our culture promotes that. Be independent. Do your own thing. And that all falls into that spiritual realm, it takes us away from God. Because the law, following rules, is all about us. The law is about self-control. I am righteous because of what I do. That is a religion. Law, religion, I'm in control. I'm righteous because of what I do. Faith. It's about God control. I am righteous because of what he has done. That's a relationship. There's a difference between a religion and a relationship. And don't be fooled by what you hear, my friends. 
all faiths are not the same. All religions are not the same. There are, you can do a comparative religions class, and I would encourage that. It's a phenomenal thing to study. It's fascinating. Behavior, rules, following a set of guidelines, no matter if it's, it's the meditate and hold your crystal, what, if, it, if your path to being righteous and holy is something you're doing, it's a religion. If your path to righteousness is what somebody, God, has done in you, in the person of Jesus Christ, it's a relationship. Now, we'll get into this later on. There, things in the Mosaic law and the, the law and the word, they're not inherently bad. It's about mixing things up with your salvation and we'll, we'll cover that in later chapters. Right now, recognize that law and faith are, are mutually opposed in this context about your salvation. And that's what Paul is setting up very clearly. And that's important for us to remember. It's a fundamental of being a Christian. And we want to be like Muhammad Ali. We want to work on those fundamentals and not forget about them. So that's an important context for these next four verses we want to take a look at. The Galatians were Christians. They were Christians. And when Paul hears that they were Christians saved by faith, and they're now adding the law back into the stuff, it doesn't make sense to him. And my good friend here, his name's uh, Virgil Hogwalt. You ask him, does that make sense to add law to your faith? And he would say, that don't make no sense. It don't make no sense. We'll come back to that because my buddy Virgil here is a pretty smart guy when it comes to that. That don't make no sense. So let's take a look at the context. Let's go look at the verses. That's enough context. Let's get into the verses here a little bit. Uh, five verses we want to look at very quickly. And Paul is making an argument. He has two parts to his argument. Uppercut and a jab. Okay, one-two punch. Okay, the first one, the jab, he is admonishing the Galatians. He is, um, if you don't like admonishing, he's chastising. He's chewing them out. He is telling them they're wrong. And he's not doing it in a gentle way. Calling somebody foolish is like crazy. Out of your mind. Second part of it is he is reminding them about the fundamental of the faith. Reminding them about fundamentals. So very quickly, I want to go through these five verses. If you put this into our words... Verse 1, hey, you saw Christ. You knew Christ was crucified for you. How crazy can you be? The only way you could be this stupid is if a witch put a spell on you. It's just beyond. Paul can't conceive of how this would happen. I had an old football coach, the DB coach, and if you did something really stupid, he'd wonder if you're crazy. He said, boy, you must be smoking dope. And that meant we'd really screwed up. If Coach Stubbs said that we were taking drugs, we knew we were in big trouble. Um, verse 1 is very strong. That's, that's not a, a gentle piece of language there. Calling them foolish. You foolish Galatians. It's Paul's relationship that makes it so harsh. Kind of like in a family, if you have an argument within your family, it gets you maybe more mad. You're less willing to forgive. It's a... Not that Paul is unwilling to forgive, but it is pointed. It hurt Paul on a personal level. They've walked away from it. It's like it's refuting his teaching, and he's trying to call them back in the way that the prodigal father was calling back the prodigal son, in the way that in a family you want to restore the relationship. This is bad that they were being this foolish. 
So Paul goes on to the second point, the second verse, verse 2. Tell me one thing. Brings it like a laser back to the fundamental. How were you saved? Was it what you did or was it what God did? He's telling them they've lost their focus. Very simple question. It's, it's a good God space thing, except in this case, it's, again, a little bit on the harsh side. He wants these guys really focused on this. Paul references his own writing. If you looked at that, how are you saved? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Say it with me. For it is by grace you have been saved through and not of yourselves. It is by grace we have been saved through faith, not something that we did. There's no works involved in being saved. The second punch in Paul's argument is that. First punch, you're being foolish. Second punch, how are you saved? Bam, bam. And he goes back and forth like that, punching them back and forth. Goes back to verse 3, comes back with the admonishment. Are you really that crazy? You were sanctified. You were saved by the Spirit. You were justified by the Holy Spirit. But you think the law is going to sanctify you. Only crazy people believe that. So I can't pass this up. This is, he's got this line in there. You were justified by the Holy Spirit, sanctified by law. You've heard this a few times. You can probably do this with me. When we're saved... It's actually, we want to break that into three parts, right? The first part, wait, I got to go this side. Wait, no, I was right the first time. We are justified, which is when one time event in the past, we are saved from the penalty of sin. We, will, we are found innocent of all the sins we've ever committed. Justification. When I believed that happened as a one time fixed event in the past, it already happened if you're a Christian. I am present tense, being sanctified, which I'm saved from the power of sin over me because I've got the Holy Spirit in me now. I don't have to sin. I usually do, but I try not to. But I I have the power not to do that. I am being saved from the power of sin as I'm sanctified. And then we look forward to in the future being glorified, where I will be glorified, future tense, where I'll be saved from the very presence of sin. There will be no sin in heaven. And Paul's referencing with the Galatians, they were justified by accepting Jesus Christ through faith. And now the Galatian church is saying, yeah, you might have been justified by faith, but you're sanctified by what you do, by your works. They're adding in works to that. And we shake our heads at that because we would never do something like that. Um, Paul's really frustrated with the Galatians. He's astonished. And he wants to call them out of that. And so in that one little verse there, we get a whole bunch of nice stuff about, you know, reminding us about sanctification and being sanctified for life. Does, does it make sense if you're justified by faith, you could be sanctified by anything other than faith, by God? No. We, Mr. Hogwallops, right? That don't make no sense. This is important. God does all the works for salvation. The holy part that takes place is all by God. It's all by the Holy Spirit. And you get more specific into this. When you receive the Spirit, when you're justified, the sin is removed. The penalty of sin is gone. But that just makes me innocent of the sin. That doesn't make me holy. God has to put into us, and he does, his Holy Spirit. 
so that God is in us. God gives us God, the Holy Spirit within you. When you believe as a believer, you are regenerated. You are a new person because the Holy Spirit is in your life. That's the person of God, the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. It's all God, and the Holy Spirit is indwelling within us. And that's when that happens at justification, that's you receive a spiritual gift or two or three. You have the power to withstand sin. God is inside of us. And I don't think we reflect on that enough. And clearly the Galatian church didn't trust that somehow. It's hard to rely on God. Flesh says, oh, I got to do stuff to do that. And so they wanted to add in circumcision. They wanted to add a bunch of things you do. And Paul's saying, no, you're out of your mind if you think that's the way it works. And believe me, we could spend several sermons on just that one concept of the, the sermon about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which is called pneumatology. We've done classes on the Holy Spirit and what that means. It's a big concept. And Paul's referring it right here in just one little verse reminding the Galatians that they've heard this before. This is important stuff. Think about that. God is eternal, the creator, the sovereign, totally all-powerful, totally all-knowing, is in you and in me, if you're a believer, forever. God in you forever. Audience participation time. Raise your hand if you're more powerful than God. No one? Good. If God does something, is there anything I can do to overcome what God did? God created the universe. Can I? No. If God saved you, nothing you do can change that. There is no way for any of us on our own human power and ability to overcome what God has done in us. And the the doctrinal waters here of saved by the Holy Spirit when you are justified all flows out of that. That is true. That is a fundamental of the faith. You are saved through faith, by grace. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You cannot pull that out. No one can. No one can mislead you to that. You can get yourself all twisted up, certainly. You can fall, uh, go all kinds of bad paths and hurt people. You're still saved. That will not change. That is a fundamental truth, and that is very comforting. That should be very comforting to all of us. Titus chapter 3, just to kind of back up Paul's argument a little bit. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. There's other bits of scripture. talks about put on the new man. You are a new creation in him. You're not who you were before. Tammy gave us a wonderful, perfect testimony who she was, who she is now. And the cool part of all that, it doesn't stop. (laughs) Sanctification continues on. If you knew me in college, I was a believer in college. I was arrogant. I was more arrogant, maybe. Cocky. I thought every church was full of hypocrites. I wasn't going to that church. I had my own little set of rules for what a church had to do. And if you didn't meet my rules, I was out of there. The fact that I would be sitting in a church today is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Nothing more than that. Holy Spirit working through people, working through lots and lots of people. 
But he continues to regenerate us. Who you are now is not who you're going to have to be tomorrow. We have that ability. The Holy Spirit does that. Sometimes to learn those things, we go through a painful process, don't we? Galatian church went through a painful process. They were criticized. They were attacked. They were probably persecuted by the Jews in Galatia. This was the Jewish community. When they converted out of Judaism and into Christianity, they were probably persecuted. And now they're going backwards. It doesn't make sense that we would do that. that. Why are they doing that? Do you get a sense of the astonishment of Paul? That Paul's troubled by this. This is not comfortable for him. Which takes us to verse 5. Okay? There's no way that you can affect the outcome when the Holy Spirit does it. That what has been done in you by God has worked miracles in you cannot be undone. And that verse in Titus backs that up. We are given the Holy Spirit, God, the triune God, which we could spend our whole lifetime trying to understand this concept. But know this, when you were saved, the Holy Spirit entered you and is with you forever. That's why we can do some of the things we do. That is a fundamental of the faith. And we've got to remember fundamentals because like sports teams, like this one that didn't remember all their fundamentals last night, but at any rate... Fundamentals, teams that focus on fundamentals are successful. Teams that think fundamentals are boring, that, ah, I've heard this before, I don't need to do the same stupid drill. Successful sports teams, the professionals do the same drills that sixth grade teams do. Those fundamentals. In football, it's blocking and tackling. Baseball, it's hitting and fielding and catching and running. In the church, this is one of those blocking and tackling things about how you are saved. It is a hill worth dying on. And the Galatians were dying on the wrong hill. They were picking works and law and adding things to the gospel, which is hard for us to understand. But we are just as susceptible as they are. So think about this, my friends. When we start thinking about it, we get a little judgmental. When we get a little gossipy. When we get a little bit maybe even proud of ourselves about how we do things at Grace Point and how nice it is here at Grace Point. Boy, it's easy to fall into that. It doesn't matter what it is. It might be, you know, wearing ties at church. It might be what Bible version you... You've got to watch out for that because the Holy Spirit will be like Muhammad Ali. There will be some punches and counter punches. You will be confronted with this. And I tell you, it, it scares me to ever think that as, if I was reading those first chapters that if I felt like the Apostle Paul was saying, Wes, you foolish believer, how convicting that would be. How, if you're an ancestor of the Galatians, that you made it in the Bible. Yay. Oh, wait, it's for being foolish. No, that's bad. Don't want to be there. Okay, we don't want to be foolish. And the way you avoid it is to focus on these fundamentals. They're fundamental for a reason. They're important. We need to focus on them. We need to make sure that we're secure. And friends, if you're a believer, you're secure. There are doctrines that preach otherwise, but you are secure. The Bible is clear on that. And if you're listening to this this morning and you're not a believer, this is probably not making a lot of sense to you. Um, I would ask you two things. One, to just think about this, about security and what happens and, and how we can be different. But ask somebody. 
if you see somebody with a blue name tag on, that's a good person to ask. I'll hang out out here up front afterwards. Come talk to me about that. That is more important than anything else that you think about your salvation, your security for the future when this body passes away. So that's our verses. And when you get to the end of this, you have to ask one question, and that's so what? So what? We read these verses. What does it mean? And this is what we call usually, it's on the notes even, it says application. And Gary and I have some wonderful discussions about application because it's always interesting how you apply it. And Gary and I uh, almost said we disagree at all, but we agree on one thing is application is between you and the Holy Spirit. When you read a piece of scripture, when you study that piece of scripture, it changes you a little bit and you need to think about what do you do with that? Where do you go with that? You don't just read the scripture to be smart. We don't want to be a smart, well, I guess we do want to be smart as a church, but we don't want to be just smart as a church. We want to be churches that put the word into action. So I read the scripture, and I'm a leader in this church, and so it's important for me to lead by example, and I think it's important for me to tell you how the scripture impacted me. Now, what you got to understand is I share that with you to maybe inspire you or to show you that, yeah, this is, this is real, but it's not to tell you what to do. I challenge you to read this verse on your own and study it on your own and then see how you react. How does the Holy Spirit lead you to do something with this verse? Okay? So the teaching bit, you can bank on that. The rest of this is just my opinion. And you can take that and a cup of coffee and spend five bucks or whatever. I think I tortured up that metaphor. This is just for whatever. Use it for inspiration. It's, it's, it's application. This is how I'm going to apply it. And I came to four of them. And uh, they're kind of a little bit about God's space, which is, I guess, not a surprise as we've been working through that. The first one is this. You keep hearing the phrase, hearing with faith. That'll show up a lot in Galatians. Hearing with faith implies a speaker in faith, does it not? How does somebody hear if somebody doesn't speak? Jesus is no longer on this planet in physical form. Who's going to do the speaking? Brothers and sisters, 70% of our neighbors in Grant County do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We are doing God's space to give us some tools, to encourage us, to maybe inspire us, and to give, again, some equipping to be the ones that go out and speak. And it's not like we're expecting you to be Billy Graham. We're expecting you to be a good friend, to observe, to care, to pray, to do acts of service, to get involved in that life and invest in that person as a genuine friend so that the conversation can take it to where you do get to speak and do get to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. Okay, that, I think, is very, very implicit in that phrase, hearing in faith. It takes speakers in faith, and we're it. The Christian churches in Grant County are it. Second one is know your audience. Now, God's face talks about being observant and having good listening skills. But think about Paul. Paul's using Old Testament references. He's using sports. He's using quotes from the Old Testament. He refers to his own heritage as a Hebrew. Paul understands his audience, and he's hitting them in a way that they can understand. We need to be the same way. If I'm talking to grade school kids about city stuff, you know, I use different language than I do if I'm talking here at church. I mean, know your audience, or more appropriately, listen to your friends. 
be a great listener of your friends and be observant. Know your audience. There's great joy in that. I will say as somebody who gets impatient frequently and wants to get things done, uh, when you have a, a goal in the conversation of trying to further my relationship with a person, I have all the patience in the world if I can just remember that. That's been helpful. Third, this is probably good in general. Don't be an idiot. Don't do things that make no sense. Okay? Meaning, in context, remember your fundamentals. Don't get sidetracked. Don't be proud about who you are in anything other than be proud in Jesus Christ in you. Don't make standards for what it means to be a real Christian. You know, real Christians... Men wear suits and ties every day to church. Real Christians do this. Real Christians do that. Real Christians, they would never do that. Don't get sight. It's too easy. Social media will take you down the wrong roads with that. I mean, everybody loves to do that. Um, certainly following the election, there's lots of things we like to judge each other and think, ah, don't get pulled into that. Okay? Don't be an idiot. Remember your fundamentals. And the fourth one is practice those fundamentals. Don't just remember them. Put them into practice. Be somebody who's a good fundamental Christian. Be a good blocker. Be a good good tackler as a Christian. Be a good boxer. Have a good uppercut. Practice those fundamentals. Which takes us all the way back now to our original central question. Do we receive the Holy Spirit by works or by faith? And the central answer is faith. Guess what? That'll be pretty much the central question of a lot of the passages we're going to look at. Might tweak it just a little bit, might be a little more specific, but that's kind of the theme of Galatians, folks, is faith is our path, and it's the most important part. That is chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Holy Father, we again thank you this morning that we might be here to listen to your word, to consider your word, to worship you and proclaim your name across our area. And Lord, I do reflect, as we did the, this week on Veterans Day, and that as Americans, uh, we got to witness a peaceful transition of power. We got to witness a time of honoring our veterans that made a lot of that possible. And, Father, these are blessings from you that we live in a country that can transition its leaders in peace, that can go forward without a uh, set of wars or chaos and, and turmoil in our streets. And, Lord... Uh, you are the author of all that takes place around us, and we just thank you that we get to be the, the recipients of your great blessing of a nation that honors you, at least in terms of allowing us to worship you in freedom, that, Father, we can come to you with openness, and we can study your word, and we have all sorts of uh, just your word in all of our languages that we can understand. Father, we thank you for our veterans that helped make this nation possible, that sacrificed very down to their lives, Lord. Uh, to let us be here and enjoy those blessings, that you've used them mightily. Father, we thank you again for your word, and I just pray that all of us would leave here, Father, not just smarter in your word, but closer to you because of your holy word in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.